And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Hello, I'm Dan DiOrio along with Ethan Wise of Hair Nursery, Green Thumb Herd, every Saturday at 7, although we're we're in the waning days. It's getting close. Yeah. End, end of, of October. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to get all our gardening chats in now. Yes. And yes. people, it is time to garden. Time, time to finish up your garden. Things are wrapping up. Uh, yeah, I'm still getting a hold of the weeds. Yeah. Uh, that that I don't know where it came from, but that that's it's called bindweed. It looks like a smaller. Uh, if you ever have potato vine, mm-hmm. it looks like that, but smaller. And man, that thing just keeps coming back. Takes over. It's completely taken over two of my garden beds, my main garden beds. Yeah. Um, it's also now in my vegetable garden bed, mm-hmm. and it is a nightmare. Yeah. And nothing that I am aware of can kill it without harming everything else in your garden. Right. Uh, there's it's just the, <clears throat> the selective stuff that kills other weeds that doesn't kill your turf grass. You know, it, it might be effective in your grass, but those same herbicides don't really work in your flowering garden beds or your vegetable garden beds. So you have to remove it by hand. But when you do that. You're just propagating it. You rip it out. You don't get all the root system. Yeah. A little bit of root system hangs out in there. It grows a whole nother plant. It's a yeah. nightmare. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, and when you rip it out, you're ripping out half the other leaves of uh, the uh, perennials you want to keep. Yeah. Because they just to... wind their way in there. Mm-hmm. And it loves tall things. It's growing up all of my lilies right now, which, of course, aren't flowering, but I'm yeah. letting them stay in the ground so that they can keep photosynthesizing um, until next year. I, I won't cut my lilies back until the leaves turn yellow, but they're a nice, sturdy, tall, uh, rigid stem, and I got bindweed growing up every single one of them. It uh, it grew up a rake that I had left outside. <laughs> it did, just perfectly, but it oh, was yeah. raking. It was raking for me. Okay. So, yes. it did. So you found, you realized some distressing in your lawn? Yes. So, okay. Yeah. Well, at least it went to work for you. Yeah, it did. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, this is the time of year that uh, a lot of people are. Is this prime picking your vegetables time of year? Yeah, yeah. It's time to kind of, you know, squash is probably performing really well for a lot of people. Um, and uh, you're still going to get some late season tomatoes. The temperatures are cooling off. So we had talked about this last year about tomatoes hanging on your plant green forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in part because of the temperature. It's really, really hot outside, which we had a really hot summer um, last year and, and long periods of drought um, that your tomatoes just kind of stay green. They don't do anything until it gets cooler. Well, a lot of people might now have been noticing that their tomatoes, if they were sitting green, are now starting to turn oranges, yellows and reds uh, with these cooler temps. So what is it about the cooler temps that the tomato likes? I the, would think it would ripen faster in hot temperatures. The roots, like, it'll grow faster, but there's a that chemical that turns the tomato a color can be inhibited if the temperature is too high. If the temperature is higher than, I think, I want to say um, over 85 or over 90, then that chemical can't be released properly. Um, and so there's something about that, that 80 degree, 75 to 80 degree temperature time span that allows for that chemical to be released and to add, change the color of the tomato and add the flavor to it. It's almost like because the weather's so hot, the tomato goes into survival mode and just yeah. stops everything. Right. Well, yeah. fruit is expensive. It's yeah. a very expensive process. Same with flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes people notice that, too, if you, especially on newly planted things, it's like, well, it's not flowering this summer. It's like, well, it's because it's exhausted. It needs to get its roots developed. It, it, it can't support flowering um, while it's this hot outside because, like you said, it just wants to survive. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so how the, and then last week you were talking about the invasion of the hornworms, mm-hmm. giant caterpillar-sized worms with giant ram horns yeah. that are like five, six inches long on your tomato plants. I think they came from outer space. Um, they don't seem like something that belongs here. Um, and as far as I know, they are all gone off of my plant, but my plant is still recovering. Mm-hmm. Uh, my plant is... So you had to beat them off, huh? Oh, yeah, I had to pluck them off, and, and I... <laughs> Sorry for any animal lovers out there, but I chucked them really hard against the side of my garage. Yeah, but I was because you were mad with them. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they're so destructive. Um, And uh, but yeah, they're they're awful. And they uh, any any tomato farmer uh, knows that penance well. Of of you kind of like, what did I do wrong this year to deserve such a blight? Yeah, Um, and the squash bugs. Yeah, um, well, uh, I hope other people's squash um, are, are more successful than mine. I had to depart ways with my squash a couple weeks ago. Uh, there were uh, loads of squash bugs that found me. And because of that, I have decided, I've made the firm decision to not plant squash, at least in my backyard um, next year, which is where my vegetable garden is, because squash bugs will lay their eggs in the soil, just like Japanese beetles do. Once they find a good food source, they drop their eggs in there um, so that they can hatch and have immediate food source next season. And they're very hard to control. Very few insecticides can kill those bugs. And the ones that do, you don't really want to spray on food that you plan on eating. Um, so I've, you know, it is what it is, uh, but they are very destructive. I battled with them at a previous house of mine every year. And what you'll read um you know, is that you just have to relocate your garden. Uh, but unfortunately... Farmers do that, too. They, yeah, they rotate. Right. Um, so, but this one, uh, I don't have a big enough space, so I think I'm going to try the squash in my front yard and see what happens there. <laughs> just have right in the middle of my yard. tried it in yard. containers? Will it work in containers? I'd have to... I bet I could. Maybe if I went to a farm store and got a big trough or yeah. something, because squash, anything in the squash family, melons um, uh, as well, pumpkins... They need a big root system, right. and if you grow them in like a, a pot that you would be able to successfully grow a pepper or a tomato in, that's probably still not big enough for the squash. You'll probably have a few leaves, but you would probably have very small fruits. They just can't get enough of a root space. I am surprised that they have not come out with some sort of insecticide that after you get your squash done, uh, like you did, you mm-hmm. put it in the soil and it kills anything like a preventative. Do they have they developed anything like that? Well, I'll have to look. The only thing is that it can stay in the soil for a while um, mm-hmm. and be absorbed by other plants that you might still right. have. Yeah. I mean, if I just had a field of, of squash yeah. and then they were done, I would consider that. I would have to look and see if grubex or those sort of things would kill the larva of uh, squash bugs. Have you grown any green peppers this year? Have you had any success? I've had a lot of peppers. I, I can't keep up with my peppers. Yeah. I have a, a pepper called Lunchbox, which is a sweet pepper. It's delicious. It's about, um, oh, I, I don't know, um, jalapeno-sized. Mm-hmm. Uh, they turn bright red, and they're perfect with, like, a cracker, some veggie oh. cream cheese, and yeah. a slice of this pepper because it's not spicy. Oh, they're so good. But I can't keep up with them. And then I grew this year, too, a variegated, it's called a peppermint bell pepper, and it's white, green, um, and red-striped. Uh, and it's a funky, elongated bell pepper. If I have some, I'll bring some in next week. Wow, so you can I've see never them. heard of that. And the leaves of the pepper are variegated as well. Wow. It's a really unique pepper. 
Huh. Uh, and those are the only two I grew this year. But you didn't have uh, any pests with your peppers this year? No. Oh. No, my peppers were fine. They were right next to my tomato plants, so nothing jumped ship from my tomato plants to my peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, although the capsaicin that's in the pepper that makes them spicy, even the, even the ones that aren't spicy like bells or sweet peppers, uh, seems to be a natural deterrent for so many things. In fact, it's an active ingredient in some uh, uh, pest repellents. They'll say you can, uh, they'll put capsaicin in sprays for uh, squirrel repellent or insect repellent which can be effective but just like humans some rodents adapt a taste for spicy food Um, and so they end up you end up just seasoning the the stuff for them yeah all right so um we're doing that and we've been talking about lawn care Mm -hmm. and now's the time of year to uh, start seeding right cool temperatures it's Mm -hmm. not going to be too hot uh, you can slit seed, you can overseed, mm-hmm. uh, you can hit up bare spots. I yep. have, uh, and it could be, uh, you know, the little dollar plate browns. They could develop into a pretty good area, can't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you, yeah, you want to address those. Mm-hmm. Um and, and usually for just kind of a nice generalization, about a five-pound bag of seed will cover about one to 2,000 square feet of, okay. of coverage if you have it. And of course, you're going to get more coverage um, if you're just spot seeding, you know, like, oh, that's a dead spot. That's a dead spot. I just want to put seed there. Yeah. So when you're doing that, how much do you dig down in the dirt to loosen it? Um, I usually just take a nice sturdy metal rake and I just rough it up. Uh, I don't want to dig too deep because if the grass seed falls too deep, if it goes usually more than an inch and a half into the soil, it's going to be really tough for it to germinate. Or if it does germinate, it's going to be a very weak piece of grass because the roots are buried too deep in the soil. Um, so you really just want to rough it up just enough, the top half inch of the soil, sprinkle the seed in there. You can lightly cover it with something else. I like to, if I'm just spot seeding, I like to lightly cover with vermiculite or compost. Now, if you're large broadcast seeding, that's not always cost straw. effective. I just you, do, you go straw for for the big yeah, ones. Yeah, because uh, that, that will keep the birds mostly out. Yes, yes. I like the compost. The reason why I recommend compost, especially if you're just spot seeding, is it adds nutrition to the soil and keeps the seed insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. But yeah, big areas, just use straw. And we got loads of straw bales. Can you just oversee this time of year without really dis- dis- disturbing your grass? Oh, yeah. If you already have like a nice grass, but it just kind of went a little bit dormant or you have a few uh, brown spots, sure. Um, it, you might just have to be a little bit heavy in your seed application. Okay. Uh, just a little bit more than you probably would just to make sure that enough actually makes its way through that top thick area and hits the ground below. And how much water? Well, this time of year, you probably don't have to water as heavily, but to get the seed to germinate, you're going to want to water once every other day or so on average to make sure that it's germinating within a healthy time period of about 14 days. All right. And this might be a good time, too, because I have one area which is under a big tree, a big ash tree, that's predominantly bluegrass. Mm -hmm. But the one on the other side of the sidewalk uh in the sun is mainly fescue okay just because that's the natural gas and uh grass that's the one that'll take over right well the um uh the fescue thick kind of almost lime green light fescue Yep, so it's probably like a creeping fescue of, yeah. of some sorts. But yeah. yes, that, that can. It's it's usually a little bit slower spreading, mm-hmm. but once it establishes, yes. it's sturdy stuff. But it is sturdy and takes the heat well. Yes. So it's a mixed grass. Okay. But 
uh, if you want your backyard or even stuff that has fescue, over, you could overseed with bluegrass, right, to mm-hmm. try to get that established. I usually recommend a blend that has perennial rye, fescue, and bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you always know that something's going to take, mm-hmm. uh, and you're always going to have something that fills in that spot. And we have an emerald mixture that has all of those in there. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let's turn to a lot of people. This is the prime time for planting trees. Um, can you establish... Uh, bushes for next year. Yes. If you wanted to go lilac, put up some lilac. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the window now, right? Yes. Um, and and my word of caution to, to people is to try to find, so when you're picking plants late in the season, shrubs that are in a large container, so a lilac or a hydrangea, uh, a wygela, things like that, a nine bark, all of those are probably going to be in a three-gallon container or so. That's a deep enough root system. That's almost a foot deep root system. So that's a pretty good plant to plant this late in the season. I caution people against planting something that's in a tiny perennial one gallon pot. That's what you're commonly going to see. Like, uh, the bee balms that you purchase. That's a, that and the, and the coreopsis. Those are right. one gallon pots. So anything like that, I, would recommend people get into the ground ASAP. And the reason why is that um, plants are getting close to the end of their biological time frame. They don't want to produce too many more roots this late in the season. They're winding down. They're getting ready for sleep. And if they don't get established, well, you now just have this plant that's only six inches deep in the soil. Well, when the ground freezes, it's going to freeze the top five inches of that soil, which is going to kill most of that root system. So emphasis on, on mulching, two, three inches of mulch, that's going to buffer that, that frozen area that'll happen later in the season. Um, and also hopefully, you know, um, uh, assist in insulating the roots so that there's a little bit more warmth to encourage more root growth later in the season. Okay. So that's a a word, a note of caution. And again, um, if you are, if you do have the smaller one-gallon container, Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to do it right away. Get those roots spread out, cut them a little bit, maybe get a knife, a box cutter, anything. Yes, yeah. We've talked about girdled roots, but that's... uh, Sometimes when plants don't take, it's because you don't open that up, correct? Right. Well, yeah, when you just take it out of the pot and you put it in the ground, those roots might just be tempted to keep spinning around in a circle, and then they sap the nutrients of that area. There's, they, It's really difficult for them to, to break out of that cycle. Uh, so, yeah, if you do it for them, you pull those roots out, then they can naturally start to grow out left, right, you know, and, and, uh, and, and down. Mm-hmm. And again, this sounds basic, but always even with the soil? Yes. Yeah. Never high, never low? Right. If you're going to, I would verge, uh, you know, a little bit higher than lower. Um, lower can cause water to pool right there at the at the stalk, right at the crown, and that mm-hmm. can cause rot. Um, but planted too high and you're leaving too many roots out of the ground, uh, that could be hard for them because those are going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots don't want to be out of the ground. So, yeah, if you can, put the soil in the pot, level with the soil in your ground. All right. So, smaller uh, one, uh, uh, just the smaller pots right now, if you're getting them, get them in the ground this weekend. 
Yeah, I would say this weekend, uh, yeah, maybe by the end of October, getting into middle October, I can't help but caution people to consider the one-gallon perennials. If you are, get hardy ones, zone three, zone four. Uh, I don't recommend planting something that's only zone five hardy. That's what we are. So I would caution people against uh, certain types of uh, blanket flower or um, even there's certain coreopsis or tick seed that's only zone five hardy. Uh, one thing that I can't talk enough good things about the mint family. Many plants in the mint family are hardy up to zone four, so those would probably be really good ones to plant. Russian sage would do really well. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you remember, it was, what, a couple short years ago? Was it last year or the year before where we had six inches of snow on Halloween? Oh, yeah. Uh, was that two years ago? I feel like that was two years ago. Two yeah, years last ago. year Last year was uh, we were good. I remember because uh, Sean, Sean Connery passed on Halloween. Oh. And so I remember that. I remember <laughs> sitting on the deck passing out candy yeah. and not trying to be sad because yeah. Sean Connery had passed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, here you go, children. I can't do his voice. But you should have just... <laughs> yeah. You should have been Sean Connery at Halloween. I that wish been I could have, quite yeah. the honor. Yeah. But I am really looking forward to gardening indoors this yes. year. Oh, and yeah. I know you, just from the shots I took, uh, that you took, have plenty of indoor plants. That's mm-hmm. your passion. Oh, yeah. Indoor gardening. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, there's actually this gentleman that uh, we've just started trading cacti cuttings with each other. Oh. Um, so this guy that comes in, his name's Jim. And in my phone, he's Jim the cactus guy. And in, and in, in uh, his phone, I'm Ethan the cactus guy. Yeah. And uh, we've been trading um cactus cuttings with each other and he just gave me it looks like something out of the cretaceous period uh it's about uh, the size of a, of a hoagie on steroids and full of one to two inch thorns all over it i'll have to bring it in because i haven't potted it up yet but man is this thing vile and i can't wait to get it planted and it's <laughs> <laughs> completely uh unusual huh? oh yeah it's it's called it's a euphorbia and it's called a cow horn cactus so if you have a chance to google that euphorbia cow horn cactus it's one of those cacti that if you fell on it out in nature you'd kind of just want to wait for someone to pass by and put you out of your misery it's awful how um how easy is it to propagate uh well, that's what's so fun about cacti um, is is most of the time, I'd, I'd say uh, uh, nine out of ten times, you can get them to establish simply by a cutting. You take a cutting off of it. Um, I think you're better success. You're going to be more successful after you take that cutting if you let that wound callous or harden over as opposed to taking a fresh wound and sticking it in soil because oh. there could be bacteria or something in the soil that won't harm the, the plant once it's established or healthy, but an open wound, that bacteria or possible um, mycelium from a fungus could be in there, gets into the wound, rots, rots the plant out. So if you do any propagation cutting, I usually recommend let the wound heal, to, heal over. That could take, depending on how big of a, of a cutting you've taken, it could be 24 hours, it could be four days before that wound has healed. And at that point, you can stick it in the soil and uh, it'll start to root. Never knew about that. It has to actually grow a callus? Yeah, yeah. So a callus or it's just it's kind of a scab over that wound is the best way to kind of... Uh, is that with all plant propagations? It's usually what I recommend. Um, I've done that. I was doing some propagations on my rubber tree. In fact, I was going to bring in, uh, spoiler alert, I was going to bring in um, some cuttings of my rubber plants to uh, add to your collection here oh. um, in the studio. So it really is a rubber plant, ficus elastica. It's where the rubber comes from or used to come from traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that one, I've already taken some cuttings and the wound has already healed over. Cause what happens, so you can see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I think most people would just cut it, put it right in dirt, but uh, now I'm learning something. And, and sometimes that's successful. I've been successful doing that, but I think the plant, you're, the plant will have a less likelihood of getting an infection if you let the wound heal prior to putting it in the soil. Wow. Learn something new all the time. All right. Uh, let's go to trees. Uh, this is prime tree planting season. Uh, and we were talking about many of the miniature trees you have. Mm -hmm. What are some of the more unusual? Because some people may want that one tree that when you take people in the backyard, they go, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, and, you know, commonly I, I love when people come in and they're kind of a, a blank canvas. They don't really know what they're looking for. They want a tree. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm super happy to talk about uh, maples or oaks, um, which is a common thing. I'd say maples are probably the most sought after tree. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's because they want the fast growing tree and, and that's kind of got a stigma about it as being a fast growing tree. Also, it's one that we're all comfortable with. Everyone knows what a maple looks like, what a maple's going to do. And it gives great color. Exactly. And there's so many great colors. Yeah, we have um, some beautiful red maples, Autumn Blaze, which is going to have a red orange color. It's probably the fastest growing tree that we have. And with that red orange color and the fact that it's one of the fastest growing trees that we sell, make it a prime candidate for many people to come in and like, I want that tree but when given the opportunity i love being able to show people it's like okay i'm going to show you the maples I'll, I'll talk to you about all the maples i know them like the back of my hands but if that's not exactly what you want i can't wait to walk them around some other things and some of my favorite trees that are off the beaten path uh my favorite one which i uh is i, well, I shouldn't say my favorite one um one of my favorite ones is called a black gum and the variety that we have is called wildfire black gum. So the new growth comes out, it's called wildfire because the new growth comes out bright red, Bradley red. And, and then the leaves turn green and then come fall, those leaves turn bright red again. And so throughout the growing season, you have this really nice color change. It grows into this perfect gumdrop or like the dots candy kind of little mounded form, um, not quite rounded, not quite pyramidal, somewhere in between. And it only gets about 30 feet tall, 25 feet wide. So it's not a massive tree, but a 30 foot tall tree is still going to provide you shade. Um, and so I, I really love that tree. And it has a really nice structured growth to it where uh, the the branches on um, on a healthy tree almost look like they're perfectly spaced going up the tree. This nice symmetry of, of uh, perpendicular branches coming out of the trunk. So I love that tree. It um, sounds like a tree when you're a kid in art class and you want that perfectly symmetrical yes. tree. Yes. That would be it. Oh, yeah. I, if I was an artist, I would paint the heck out of that tree. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a wonderful tree. Um, another tree that I really like is called a Happy Days Sweet Gum. And it's a seedless variety of tree. So that's usually big. Um, we sell a lot of brandy wine red maples because it's a seedless variety of tree. So there is uh, the sweet gum. This is going to get big. This tree is going to get 45, 50 feet wow. tall. So this is a great shade tree. It is a very fast grower, has a unique shaped leaf, um, kind of looks uh, maybe like a maple from a distance, but up close has is a little bit more star-shaped. 
and it gets a beautiful maroon, purple, red fall color to it. And like I said, many people get deterred from sweet gums. That's that tree that produces that golf ball size spiky seed ball that you'll see at parks sometimes. So this one will not produce those. Grows fast, beautiful fall color, uh, off the beaten path. Um, and then, uh, is there now? Is there and people listening? Uh, they may go, oh, 50 feet is too tall. I like the first one you mentioned, 25 to 30 feet tall. But someone would say, yes, I have a, a yard that I can put in a 50-foot mm-hmm. tall tree. But what is my, I may have a pool or the house or another structure. Is there a kind of set formula for height of tree? Uh, compared to the width of roots. Sure. So you want to keep roots out of your house. So, of course, roots can always go past the drip line of the tree, the canopy of the tree. But usually the the more vigorous ones are going to be within the canopy of that tree. So I usually tell people to keep that tree, if it's going to be a 50-foot wide tree, plant the tree 20 to 25 feet away from your house if you can and that will prevent many destructive roots if that tree happens to be a destructive rooted tree like a a willow or certain red maples uh, can just have a very aggressive root system keep it half the width of the tree away from your house and that'll reduce possible damage to um the foundation of your house, any lines that you have next to your house, and absolutely always, doesn't matter what tree it is, keep it away from your septic tank. You do not want any, because septic tanks might only be buried 10 feet below the surface, um, and any tree, even a small crabapple tree, could have roots that damage a line to a septic tank. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. I'm Dan Diori, along with Ethan Wise from Hair Nursery. Uh, where this is the time of year to plant trees and shrubs. Mm-hmm. We've talked about a few gumdrops that you really like. <laughs> is there anyone that, that uh, is unusual that is opposite of the gum, gumdrop, just kind of twisted, almost zen, almost bonsai-ish? Well, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, we, we had some... Um, Curly locust trees, but I think we only have one left. That would have been a really funky, unique tree. Um, so as, as at the time that we're talking about this, I think we have one left. So so don't come into hair nursery yeah. wanting a look, but they're a really funky tree. Um, something to consider for next year. But that would be a really unique tree. Um, I'm trying to think of something that would be kind of uh, a, a twisted, that would get large. Many of those are going to stay small, like a contorted hazelnut's going to stay small. But we have a lot of those. Oh. Um, well, you know what? We do have a weeping bald cypress tree in that if I was not currently, uh, I'm not, I'm not living in a house that I own, but if I lived in the house that I owned, I would have bought this tree months ago. What it's is a, it? It's a weeping bald cypress. And yeah. bald cypress, if you've been to Hair Nursery, that's what those big trees are that yes. are all over the sales oh, yard. They have the knees it. that come above the ground. You think of the south. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of people get weirded out by them because they see the ones that we have mm-hmm. and they say, well, I don't want those destructive knees. But they don't have to be. That's because we have compacted soil there and everything gets watered twice a day. Yeah. So they have lots of, lots of water. But there's a whole bunch of those trees that are planted around the Grand Prairie Mall, 
and none of them have knees, and that's because they don't get watered and irrigated regularly. So those those knees never come above ground. Yeah, but we have. I think it's the knees of those old ones that give it the great character. Isn't it awesome? Oh. I think there's something special you just don't see that. Yeah, but if you're wanting to keep they look a nice ancient, they look yes. like dinosaurs. I could only imagine if I was still a kid, I would have been playing. I was just talking to this family out there, and they were wanting. And she's like, I want this for my grandkids. And I said, if I was a kid, I would have been all over those roots with my GI Joe action figures yeah. <laughs> and my Star Wars action oh, figures yes. and creating some some intricate battle my Legos. Yeah. Oh, I would have loved it. Yeah. Um, even as adults, sometimes I think about that. Like, would people think I'm weird if I started playing with my Legos out <laughs> yeah. here in the sales yard? Um, but uh, but yeah, we have lots of different bald cybers. We have a weeping variety. We have a dwarf variety called Lindsay Skyward, mm-hmm. which only gets about 20 feet tall and six feet wide. So an interesting, unique tree that you could, um, if you want just something tall and narrow, that would do the trick for you. Yeah. Um, and then one last tree that I wanted to kind of give some highlights to, shout out to, large tree. Uh, it's a, a London plane tree. It's a sycamore hybrid. It's yellow fall color. It's the tree when people come in and asking for a silver maple, which used to be a common tree planted um, and sold in nurseries, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And you see them around all the time. They're very fast growers, but they're the ones that produce those big, giant helicopter seeds, those Samaras. So anyone that comes in, we don't sell that tree, um, but anyone that comes in and they want that, well, I want that big leaf, that yellow fall color, I show them a London plane tree. It gets big, 40, 50 feet tall, very fast growing, and it has an exfoliating bark. So this mottled two-tone, three-tone bark as it matures, beautiful, very beautiful tree. Mm. Uh, Another tree that I I see but just doesn't seem to be big around here are birch trees. Yeah. Birch trees get a bad rap because they're kind of weak-wooded. They're one of the first trees in an ice storm to lose branches. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, it's it's usually in spring, almost every spring, March, April, we yes. start our season. My neighbor has one, and yes. Yes, and, and a birch tree breaks, and people come in, what do I need to do? The perk about a tree that's as fast-growing as a birch tree, and, and to some maples to an extent, is... It's super fast growing, and yes, that can mean it's not as strong of a wooded tree, but it's also faster to heal. Mm-hmm. And and so there's, I think that's the kind of saving grace of something like a birch. Like, yes, it could have a broken branch, but it's going to heal that wound very quickly and push off new growth mm-hmm. to fill in that empty spot. So sometimes when people lose, you know, the well, that's an eight-foot segment of my tree. You know, it was a three-inch diameter branch, and it's eight feet long. I tell people three seasons, four seasons down the road, you're not even going to know. I like some of the birches, the varieties where the bark kind of peels off and yes. gives it character. A river birch. Yeah. We have some of those. We have a heritage river birch that does that. Um, we have a lot of them. And we also have a white spire birch, which is the smooth white bark. Mm-hmm. So no peeling. Um, so I have both of those. They get very similar in size. So I go, do you want peeling bark? Do you want a smooth bark? And I can show them either one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Um, what's going on at Hair Nursery now? Colors galore. Oh, my gosh. You could make all sorts of fall pots, porch mm-hmm. pots. Uh, even if you want to do some hanging pots, they have pansies. This is the pansies time of year. Yes. Uh, because uh, I have, I love pansies because mm-hmm. of the beautiful color. But oftentimes I'll put them in an area where it's like half sun. They don't like any sun. That's why they're called pansies. Yes, sun <laughs> and heat. They can't take it. No, they just they totally no. wimp out. They do. But um, this is the time of year you can create some gorgeous colors and porch pots. Oh yeah, with pansies falling over the edge. There's a there was a park that uh, um, 
I think it was Lakeview Park uh, it was a couple seasons ago, and it was well into January that the pansies in the porch pots um, in front of one of the buildings were still going. <laughs> they like so, the cold temperatures. So don't they? they're they're I don't know they're 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 pansies when it comes to heat, but yeah. man, they they're like. Blackhawk hockey players when it comes to cold, like they're they're tough in the winter. Is that if you want color late in the year, mums last through the cold part. But pansies, uh, if you're making a porch pot, they can kind of take that a little bit. Oh yeah, huh? yeah. Pansies, um, ornamental kale, uh, some of our uh, ornamental grasses uh, or, or millet can 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 do. We have ornamental millet, which is really cool. Has a, like a bottle brush flower on it. Mm-hmm. Would be great, longer lasting plants. Yeah. The mums will eventually um, they'll stop flowering. You know, you you have maybe three weeks left maximum for your mom. Oh. Uh, it's going to be, it's well, okay. If you go in and you're shopping for a mom and you want to get to Thanksgiving, it's going to yeah. be tough, uh-huh. but you need to find a mom that has no open flowers on it. And we do have some, but you got to find the, the mom that is the furthest away from giving you color as possible. If you're trying to get your mom to uh, Thanksgiving. Um, uh, so just something to consider. If you have a mom that's already flowering, it's not going to flower again. But you have other things that will have longer-lasting color. Oh, yeah. We have snapdragons in. Um, we, we, have, uh, uh, we do have some ornamental peppers, uh, which are edible, but don't be a dummy like me. They're yeah. super spicy. It's horrible. Um, and, and we have loads of different colors of those ornamental peppers. We have uh, some asters in as well, so lots of different fall colors. The sales yard is full of fall annuals. You know what? Uh, and you gave this to me. Uh, the thing that is lasting the longest right now with the best color is that grouping of marigolds you gave me. Yeah. That is just b- blooming. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. things just keep... I'm going to probably put more marigolds in next year just because they give you that long-lasting, consistent color. All right, we'll talk to you next week. More to talk about. We're going to start transitioning into houseplants, overwintering stuff, because mm-hmm. it is going to start getting cool. Uh, for Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. Thanks for listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. See you next week.